Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. Heavenly Father, thank you so very much for this day. Uh, that you have given us, Lord, this is the day that you've made that we would come and we would worship you, and that's why we're here, to worship you. Lord, as we open up our Bibles today, we are eager to hear what it is that you have to speak to us today. I pray, Lord, that you've already begun to to turn over the soil of our heart that we might receive the good word that you are ready to plant in it, that it might take root a thousandfold. So, Lord, thank you for that. I pray that you would use me this morning as a tool in your hand. Lord, that you might do something amazing this morning. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, last Sunday, we looked at the nation of Israel camp. I mean, when are they going to cross over? For heaven's sakes, it's been like a month. (laughs) We looked at them perched on the side of the Jordan River for three days, watching the raging waters rush by. And they had been told by God that they were going to cross over. But at this point, they hadn't been told how they were going to do it. And so there they sat, either fearful and anxious or in anticipation of seeing how God would do something incredible, something wondrous. Well, the night before they're to cross over, Joshua tells them that when they see the Ark of the Covenant go before them, they are to go out after it or follow it. Last week, we talked about how the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence among the people. And so in essence, Joshua was saying to them, when, you, uh, when it comes time to go, follow God. Where he leads, follow. Now, there was this old hymn that we used to sing in the church that I grew up in at baptism. Whenever somebody came up out of the water, which was like in a pool in our sanctuary, actually not the beach. We didn't have any beach. Uh, <laughs> Every time they came up out of the pool, the whole church broke into this song, where he leads me, I will follow. And that's it. And that's what we would sing. I will follow, follow, follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. And so we sang the very thing that Joshua is telling them. When you see the presence of God go before you, follow it. It's easy to sing, but what about to do? Often following where God leads us is not easy. It takes faith. It certainly took faith for the priest carrying the ark to step into the raging river. It took faith for the people to see the river standing up in a heap next to them to cross over before it. What does it take to share your testimony with a person or a group of people who you know don't know the Lord? What does it take to Move your family across the country or onto the other side of the globe because God told you to go. <clears throat> what does it take to face or to conquer fear in the face of an unfavorable diagnosis? What did it take to step into a raging river? It took faith, but not just faith. Faith in the one who created all things, who knows all things, who works all things together for those who love him according to his purposes. Well, pastor, I have faith, but I'm still scared. He knows. He knows. In Mark chapter 9, there is a story of a man who brings his son 
to Jesus. He says, my son has a demon and he often throws him down into the fire or into the water. And when he falls down, he becomes rigid and he foams at the mouth. And then he said, and no one has been able to help me, not even your disciples. The man says to Jesus, if you can do anything, have mercy on us, help us. Jesus says to this man, if you can believe, all things are possible for him who believes. And the man says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you hear that? Lord, I have faith, but I don't have perfect faith. Lord, I believe, but I'm still scared. Do you know what Jesus' response was? Sorry. You're going to have to come back. Go out and figure out perfect faith. And when you do that, come back. No, he has compassion on that boy. And he casts out the demon and he heals him because the father had faith. Not perfect faith, but he believed Jesus. Jesus told them to keep some distance between them and the ark as they crossed over. Remember he said 2,000 cubits, 300 yards, if you're not an ancient Israeli. 300 yards, a three-fifths of a mile, some distance between you and the ark as you cross over so that the presence of God is always in sight as you go. Think about it. As, as the river continues to flow, and God's blocking it from going any further. It was piling up in a, in a heap. Remember a heap? Does water heap? No, this is supernatural. It's heaping up. And as it's going up and they're walking by. And what if you're like number 2 million, you know, 170 in line. And that's a really high wall. And, you, and you've got to cross over this enormous heap of river. What's standing right in front of that wall of water holding it back? The very presence of God in full view. I have that underlined several times, in full view. Last week, we also compared Noah's Ark and the Ark of the Covenant and saw that both were vessels of atonement. Remember, God said to Noah, in order to be saved from the waters of judgment, you're going to build a vessel of incorruptible wood. And then what you're going to do is you're going to cover it with pitch, which we saw in Hebrew is the word atonement. Atonement covering this vessel that you will go into will, will keep the waters of judgment from taking your life. And so the ark was a place of atonement, of being spared from judgment. So also we looked at the ark of the covenant was the place, another vessel, another box made of wood, this time covered with gold, which was the place that the high priest once a year would go in and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice onto the top of the ark called the mercy seat for the what atonement of their sin once a year. Both of these we looked at were a picture of Jesus who went to the cross willingly to die for our sins and to shed his blood for our atonement and saving us from final judgment. This occurred to me on Wednesday. Noah's Ark saved them once. The Ark of the Covenant saved them once a year. Jesus Christ saved us once and for all. 
This morning we're going to pick up where we left off in chapter 4, verse 10. So let's go ahead and look there. And it says, And so the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. <laughs> it just occurred to me why I underlined that and highlighted it without knowing why. They stayed there until it was finished. That's what it says in my Bible. It was finished. Their salvation, their, their being saved was finished, just like Jesus said from the cross. It's finished. That the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua, and the priests and the people hurried across over. Yeah, I bet they did. Honestly, you know what? I'm sure they've got faith. Like, oh, the ark is there and the water's not crashing up. Everyone, come on, come on, come on. Everyone go. Imagine you've got two and a half million people. And, and all of that, you've got like a lot of like kids and, and, and sorry, some old people. I'm sure that, you know, they're just like, come on, let's get across. Come on. And they're going across. And then you've got cattle and you've got livestock and you've got chickens. And you're going, come on, everybody. You're just trying to get your chickens across. And all of this, you, we forget this. We forget the realities when we just read the story. We're like, ah, the, the, you know, he just stopped the river and they just marched across. But they've got carts, they've got stuff, they've got kids, they've got, you know, livestock. They're like, they're like, did you ever try and pull a cow when he doesn't want to go? I know cows don't go, but you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. That was the goat. I'm sorry they brought the goats. I don't like goats. They hurried across. And then it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priest crossed over in the presence of all the people. They waited. They had to stay there holding up that ark until the entire population gets across. And then God says, okay, now you guys. And then it says, and the men of Reuben and the men of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them, about 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. You remember that at the end of the time of wandering, when Moses started to talk to them again about the fact that they were going to go over, two tribes and later on a half a tribe will come to him and say, Moses, we're, we, you know, we've kind of surveyed the land over here on this side of the Jordan River, and we really like it over here. I mean, the, the, it says in there that the, they saw that the land was good for their flocks, and they thought, you know what? We like it here. I mean, what we can see is this land is great. I know God promised something, but we can't see that. We could see this. We'll take this. We'll stay here. And don't we do that so often? We're like, Lord, Lord, I know you have promises. You've made promises. I know you say that, you know, you've got this all figured out, even though I can't see it. But this is what I can see, and I prefer this. I want to stay here. And so God says, okay, that's not my perfect will. My perfect will is that all of you go over, but I will permit you to stay um, in a less than country than what I had prepared for you and what I want for you. They decide to stay. Do you know they're outside of that perfect will of God? And for a while, it's pretty good. But do you know what it says happens to those two and a half tribes? 
they begin to forget about the provision of God. They begin to forget about God altogether, and they become influenced by the cultures around them. And it says that they forgot God and started worshiping the God of the people around them. They allowed the influence to see they were, they were isolated from the rest of the people. God said, okay, everybody else is going into the promised land, where I, the land that I promised them. But they're outside of that. They're alone. They're isolated. And they become influenced by the culture around them so much so that they're now worshiping the gods of those people and not their own God. <sighs> you know what happens to those people who are out there isolated by themselves? They're attacked. And they're taken captive. They're actually taken captive uh, first. See, this is what happens when you isolate yourself. When you say, yeah, I don't really feel like going to church. I'm not going to go. Maybe I'll watch online. And then that becomes really easy, right? Watching online becomes really easy. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to do your hair. You know? Listen, this doesn't just happen. I don't just roll out of bed like this. You start to get out of fellowship. You begin to isolate. And what happens to those who get isolated? They become easy targets. Easy targets. The enemy comes in and he's like, I know how to get you. You know, I used to work for this youth development program up in New York. And um, we worked with kids in in not great neighborhoods. Um, And the goal was to keep in contact with them on a regular basis. Well, inevitably what would happen is we would stop hearing from some of these kids. And what was always the reason is they were into something they knew they shouldn't be into, and they didn't want to have to talk to us about it. And so they would isolate. And then the more isolated they became, the more distant they got, and the more influenced they became by um, peers that weren't good for them. Listen, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know and probably haven't experienced in your own life. We're like, I get on my own. I just need to heal in isolation. Come on. Heal in isolation. You know, maybe if you have like the flu, please. (laughs) Isolate and heal. But don't be out of fellowship. Be a part of the fellowship here and come in um, and, and, and not be vulnerable to that attack. That will inevitably come. Now, here's the other thing that I see. Look in the passage. How many, this, this sounds very impressive in the, in, the, in the scripture here. How many men of the two and a half tribes went over armed, ready to fight? 40,000? It says about 40,000. You know how many mighty fighting men there were in those two and a half tribes? 108,150. Only 40% of the men who said to Moses, we will go in when you guys are ready. We'll go in before you and we'll fight for you. Only 40% were true to their word and kept their oath. Only 40%. The other sort of 60% just decided to stay where they were. They were already so focused on this. Look at our great land. Look at where our cows can go. Look at our families. Oath, oath, oath. Damn. I don't recall making an oath. Only 40%. Now it says in verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. 
God, God lifted up Joshua, who had been obedient to what God told him to do, even when it seemed like a crazy idea. God says, I'm just going to stop the water. Um, when the priests step into it, I'm just going to do that. And Joshua's like, that sounds like a good plan to me. Let's do that. And he was obedient to God. And God lifted him up before the people and said, this now is your leader. Listen to him. Obey what he says. And then he says, in verse 15, then the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, command the priests who bear the ark of testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the water of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as it had before. You know that there are some people that try to look at things that happened in the Bible miraculously and come up with natural answers to why those things happened. Many people um, want to interpret or translate the crossing of the Red Sea as the crossing of the Reed Sea, which was also there, but it was like, yes. <laughs> It was like, you know, a foot deep, and it was like kind of a marshy swamp. And they said, well, the winds blew in such a way that it caused the water to kind of separate. And then they, they were able to march through there, and that's what it meant. And I'm like, all right, I could believe that up until that one foot of marshy water flooded in and killed and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. Now, that's actually a bigger miracle than the Red Sea crossing, I think, that this massive army would drown in one foot of marshy water. So give me a break. Many people will say of this, that what caused the river to stop flowing was upstream. There was an earthquake that caused a landslide to fall down um, and block the river. I, as a matter of fact, in, in, this, in this area has happened a couple of times. It, there was an earthquake that, fell, that um, came and crashed the, uh, like a natural dam that caused the river to stop flow. And I guess the water, like, you know, a dam, it would kind of like pile up and then outflow. Um, and, and I would even be okay with saying God caused the earthquake to make that happen. But when I get to this part, on cue, as was told to them by God before it happened, when they stepped out of the river... It went flowing back to normal, overflowing its banks again. So, some, so did, did, if you're the, the natural causes camp, did the natural earthen dam just sort of go right exactly at the moment that they stepped out of the river right when God said it would happen? Also, that's a miracle. I don't personally believe that, but if you want to go that way, go that way. What I see, and what's even more incredible, is I see that just as God said, the water went back to its natural flow, and this is what it is. This is us seeing that God's creation is subject to God's commands. Actually, God's creation is in perfect subjection to God's commands, except us. We are the only part of God's creation that is not in perfect subjection to his commands. We're the ones he gave a free will to choose to. Every other part of God's creation conforms exactly to what he says to the, he says to the river, stop flowing, it stops. 
He says the river, now start flowing again. It starts again. Every other part of God's creation is in perfect subjection to the creator. Except us, we're the ones. We're the ones that are disobedient. Lord, forgive us. Lord, forgive us for being disobedient. Lord, forgive us for putting our flesh before your son. Lord, forgive us for that. Now it says in 19, now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and they camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho and those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. The word, the name Gilgal, it means circle of stones. So um, it was like they named the town after the monument they had created. It wasn't, it wasn't like a weird coincidence, like, hey, this place is called uh, Circle of Stones, and we just set up a Circle of Stones. What a weird coincidence. <laughs> no, they called it after what they had done. They set up a monument. See, he says to them, then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land, for the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. That all the people of the earth had known the hand of the Lord, that that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. And so what he says once again to them is, when your children come and ask, Mr. Lap, <laughs> what are those 12 stones all about? What do you do? You give them your testimony. We say often the best way to witness to people is to tell your testimony. Steve gave his testimony yesterday. How many of you have actually given your children your testimony? How many of you have told your children your testimony? Don't they deserve to hear the amazing things that God did in your life? Where he took you from and where he took you to? I think we often neglect to to give our children our story. We just start teaching them the word. We don't tell them our story. He says, tell your children your testimony. He says, set up a monument, a memorial, so that when they see it, they'll ask. And then he says, the memorial is for you to remember, not to live and not to live in the past to say, oh, remember when that was so great? Remember those glory days? You know Bruce Springsteen's song, Glory Days? Sad. That's a sad song. Do you ever listen to the words? Holy depressing song. Remember when we played baseball and we were cool? Those were great days. I'm not a Bruce Springsteen fan. He just sounds like he just like screams the whole time. I know people will leave or I'll get letters. I can't, I can't, go, I can't go to that church. I can't, I can't learn from that pastor. He doesn't like Bruce Springsteen. God doesn't give us monuments so that we'll live in the past. He gives us memorials or monuments so that we'll remember the past and live forward. In the promises of God, he'll say, I did something great here. Remember, I'm going to still do something great. Live that way. Live forward, not past. So chapter five, he says, so it was when the kings of the Amorites who were on the west side of the Jordan and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we crossed over, 
their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel now i'm sure like imagine First of all, let's imagine Jericho. It's about six miles from where this is going on. And, and we talked about this last week. They're up on the wall. You've got the watchmen on the wall. And they're, they know they're there. And they're thinking, okay, the, the, the Israelites are over there. They totally decimated um, Og and Sihon over there. And, and they're coming over here. So we better figure out what to do. We better come up with some kind of a plan. I know we're in this incredible city, so we're probably safe in this great walled city. Um, and we probably have, I mean, even when they cross, we probably have a, several weeks or even several months. I mean, because how are they going to get across? They're going to have to build barges or they're going to have to build bridges or they're going to have to wait until the drought seasons and when the, the river shrinks down and they can cross. So we've got a lot of time. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, and there's a guy on the wall with his spear and his helmet and going, guys, you're going to want to see this. And all of a sudden, weeks and months turn into a day. And they're like, oh, boy. Oh, no. Now what? But it also says that it wasn't just Jericho, that it was all of the kings of the Amorites and all of the kings of the Canaanites that they heard what the Lord has done and their hearts melted. That's interesting to me. They didn't see it. They didn't witness it. They just heard about it. And when they heard about the power of God, their hearts melted. I believe that still happens. I believe even the hardest hearts can still be melted by the power of the word of God today. In fact, Paul tells us this very thing. He says that faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing what? The word of God of God. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Think about the most despicable person that you know. Just take, take, take 15 seconds, because I'm sure that's all it takes. The most despicable person you know, and let me tell you this, that person is one prayer away. Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my savior. Boom. Brother or sister in the Lord. That person who was just a, the most despicable person you can imagine is now your brother or sister in Christ because of one prayer that God says, if you accept the forgiveness of my son's death on the cross for your sins, you're in. Because they heard the word of God. And it melted their hearts. Still happens. I know it happened. I know it happened here because you've got an entire city that gets destroyed except for one woman who, rather than be afraid, saw an opportunity to be saved. Her and her whole family. Well, now the really fun part. Verse 2 of chapter 5. So they've come over. They're all of a sudden, they're feeling like, all right, we made it across. God did what he said he was going to do. You know what? Maybe he is going to give us this great land. Maybe we don't have to worry about the city of Jericho. We're a mighty army. And so the Lord comes to Joshua, who is a man of war, in case you didn't know that. Joshua was a man of war. He comes to Joshua and he says, Joshua, 
And, and Joshua says, yes, Lord. And he says, make flint knives for yourself. And Joshua says, yes, more weapons. <laughs> and then God says, and then use those flint knives to circumcise everyone. He's like, yes, what? <laughs> Joshua, make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again for the second time. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the process of circumcision. <laughs> but you actually cannot be circumcised two times. Uh, what, what he's saying is, and this is going to explain it as we go through, but I'll tell you right now, is what he's saying is when he says the people, um, he's talking the second time, he's saying that the people as a second time, not a person as a second time, meaning that the people when they were in Egypt were obedient to God's command to circumcise their children on the eighth day. But since they left Egypt, they did not, in that entire time of 40 years, they did not follow the command to circumcise. And so anybody that was born in the wandering, so anyone who was born in that time that was male had not been circumcised. So he says, you as a people were circumcised, but now you as a people need to be circumcised again. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what he is going to tell them to do. And it says, so um, Joshua, um, well, hang on. I want to camp just for a second on this because I just wrote myself one quick note but it's bigger than that. You, you heard me say that for the last 40 years, they've not circumcised. They have not done it. Even though God said 400 years earlier to Abraham or more, he gave them the command, the ordinance to say, when your children are born on the eighth day, you are to circumcise this. For what? For what reason? Well, what he told them was, it's a sign or a symbol that you are a people who are set apart from everyone else. Have you ever asked yourself just who they, that was a symbol to? I mean, like, how short were those robes? I mean, who, who, who was that a symbol to? To them. It was a reminder to them multiple times a day, honestly, that they were set apart by God, that they were a people set apart by God for God. And they had neglected all of that time. The time of the wilderness, even though God did bless them and provide for them, it was a time of rebellion. That's why they were there in the first place. And they continued to exercise rebellion throughout the entire time. And God kept blessing them and kept taking care of them. He would cause other things to happen, if you know any of the stories. And then they would cry out. And then God would say, okay, I forgive you. And then he would bless them again. But throughout that whole time, they neglected to circumcise any of their male children. And so now you've got a population who is uncircumcised. And God says that you cannot go now into the promised land and do battle without being in perfect obedience. You have to now circumcise. I'm sure there were a lot of young adult men who were not happy with their disobedient parents in this moment. So it says that Joshua, being ever obedient, made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of foreskins. All right. Yes. Now, 
I've not been to the Holy Land. I'd like to go and plan on going sometimes, but I could tell you right now that the Hill of Foreskins is not high on my list of sites to visit. <clears throat> Let's just move on, shall we? Just... And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them all. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt, for all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt um, were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Circumcised. I just wanted to put one more time in there. That's the explanation that I just gave you. They had not been circumcised. And he said, this has to happen. You must be obedient um, before we go into battle. And so it, sa it says, so it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. That's one verse, but it has huge implication. I don't know if you know this, so let me explain it to you. As an adult person, when you are circumcised, there is what they call the circumcision sickness, which means the recovery takes days and during that time, you are so sick that you cannot move. And let me tell you, I'll give you an example. I mean, I'll give you a Bible story, not an example. <laughs> you remember in Genesis chapter 34, Jacob and his sons and his daughters are moving through the land. They camp outside the city of Shechem. Dinah, Jacob's daughter, decides to go in and visit some of the women who are in the city of Shechem. And while she's there, the king's son, whose name is Shechem, sees her and rapes her. Well, he then falls in love with her and says to his father, I want to marry this woman. And so the father goes to Jacob and says, look, there was this incident. My son did something he shouldn't have done, but we want, you know, we want to have her as a daughter. So what can we do here? Now, Jacob then goes to his sons and he tells them what happened and they're enraged so what they say, well, um, two, two of Dinah's brothers, Levi and Simeon, they say, why don't we tell them that um, we'll, we'll be okay with this. We'll give Dinah to them, but they have to become like us. They have to become circumcised. So they go back and they tell Shechem and his father that if, as, long as, they, um, be, as long as all of your men become circumcised, then you're like one of us and then we can all get along. Um, and, so then, and then Shechem and his father agree and they go back and they tell the men only this, they have to sweeten the deal. I don't know if you remember this, but they go back and they say, look, we, we, you know, this is what happened. We all have to get circumcised. But when they're one of us, won't also their cattle and their livestock and all their possessions, won't they also be ours, right? And so then they all go, yeah, that's great. Let's do it. And so they all agree to get circumcised. Well, while they're in the circumcision uh, sickness time, in the healing time, Simeon and Levi come in with swords and kill everyone. Everyone. Do you hear that? Two guys come in with swords 
and kill the entire city's population of men who were sick from their circumcision. So how weak does it make you? Makes you helpless. Why am I telling you this? Where are they right now? They've just crossed over the Jordan River. They're an army ready to take over the very next city, which is Jericho, who is afraid and thinking, how will we ever defeat this army? And God says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to get circumcised and I want you to be vulnerable. All of a sudden, the entire army of the Israelites are vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. They're helpless. God required it of them. God required them to become vulnerable to him, to trust his protection and to protect his provision. Excuse me, that's wrong. Accept his protection and his provision. He said, I want you to trust me in this. Yes, I want you to be obedient because I want you to be circumcised as, I, as it has been commanded it to be so. And I know that it is going to cause you to be vulnerable, but you're not really vulnerable to them. I want you to be vulnerable to me, the one who provides all things and will protect you from your enemies. Folks, whether you're a male or a female, now God requires circumcision. But not a circumcision of the flesh, a circumcision of the heart. It says in the word, now we're not circumcised through the flesh. We're circumcised in our heart. What does that mean? It means cutting away of the worldly carnality of your heart and being separated unto God and trusting him to defend you, to protect you, to provide for you. Right, Jan? Yes, Yes, I had to fit one of those in. When I fight back, it is from my own flesh, and it is not in a God-honoring way. I might even use a Bible verse or two to disguise it, but my intentions are not godly. Peter writes this in his first letter, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to you, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Yeah, pastor, but you don't know what they're saying. You don't know the lies they're telling about me. Again, Peter answers, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be afraid. Lord, forgive us for uncircumcising our hearts and embracing our vengeful flesh when evil and insults are flung at us. Lord, help us to remain vulnerable to you and to your protection and to your provision. Then the Lord said, to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What were they in Egypt? What were they seen by everybody around them in Egypt? Slaves. He said, I have rolled away the reproach of what everyone thought because now everyone is afraid of you because of me. 
Therefore, the name of this place is called Gilgal to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. Do you know that this is only the third time that we can see it says that they celebrated the Passover only the third time. Like maybe they did it while they were in the wilderness, but there's no indication that they did. They did it the first time in Egypt. What was the first time? The actual Passover where God said, in order to be spared from the angel of death, you need to take the blood of an innocent sacrifice, the lamb, and paint it on the doorposts of your house. Stay within that and you will be spared. The angel of death will pass over your house. Now it says in Exodus when they had first crossed over the Red Sea that they once again celebrated Passover at the right time. It was a year later and they celebrated Passover, but there's no indication since then that they have celebrated Passover even one time until this moment. And now once again, they're remembering that they have been spared through the blood of an innocent sacrifice as we all have through the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, and they ate the produce of the land on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan. How many of you remembered that they'd been eating manna for 40 years? 40 years manna. How many different ways can you prepare it? It's like grits one day and... Uh, um, you know, uh, manna cake, manna cotty, <laughs> manna, 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 all this time. And they were happy to have it. But at the same time, I'm th- I think they're thinking, manna, manna, <laughs> we're going to get into that land and there's going to be milk and honey finally and produce and the, the fruits of the land that God has promised us. And it says, that when they went in there and after Passover, because they were still eating unleavened bread and, and grain, it says that they started to partake of the fruit of the land again. It, but it's still God's provision, isn't it? It went from being the, the manna that God provided to now the amazing produce that he had promised would be there. And they began to enjoy that. Um, like, I, honestly, I can't tell you what the other tribes in, on, the, on the other side of the Jordan, I don't know what they're eating. I know the manna stops. So all of a sudden, they got to go out and provide for themselves. These guys are all eating what God had promised would be there because they are in the perfect will of God. In verse 13, it says, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. So I, I imagine, you know, there, there it's quiet. Passover's over. Everyone's eating like really big grapes. In my mind, I just picture really big grapes. I don't know why. <laughs> and I think Joshua's out there doing whatever uh, a leader of the people, the commander of the army would do is he's out there. And I think he's looking at the city of Joshua thinking, how are we ever going to, is it going to be like grappling hooks and ladders or are we going to like invent dynamite somehow between now and then? Yeah. What are we ever going to do? And while he's standing there, it says that a man comes and stands before him, opposite him, with his sword drawn. And Joshua went to him and he said, are you for us or for our adversaries? Essentially what he says is, are you with us or are you with them? And look at the man's answer. No. 
He wasn't asked a yes or no question. He was asked, are you with us or are you with them? And the man says, no. (laughs) But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Do you know what the word commander in Hebrew is? Prince. He says to him, as the prince of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And it says, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Who is this man? Do you know what a Christophany is? It's not a, it's not, not a Western singer. <laughs> Christophany is an Old Testament appearance of the person of Jesus. We see it often. We see it because Jesus will say, I'm revealed in the volume of the book. Jesus himself will remind them, I'm not just a New Testament guy. I've been here from the beginning. In fact, in Colossians, Paul reminds us that everything we see was created by him, through him, and for him. He was from the beginning. He appeared in, a, in f- a, the form of a man here before. How do I know that? Well, Joshua knew it. What does he do? He falls down at his feet and he worships him. Does anyone else in the Bible allow that ever? Read the book of Revelation. John's literally in heaven with angelic creatures standing before him so great that it causes him to fall down at their feet. And what's the response of the angel? Get up. Don't worship me. I'm a worshiper just like you. This man accepts the worship of Joshua. So we know this is Jesus standing before him. And what's interesting is when he says to the man, are you with us or are you with them? Jesus says, no, you're with me. That's what we want. I don't want to be like, come on, Jesus, let's go. I want to be like, Lord, where you lead, I'm just going to follow. Where you lead me, I'm going to follow. Moses told me to do it. I'm going to keep doing it. Lord, Jesus says, no, I'm not with you. You're with me. And then he goes on and he gives them the plan. So then the commander of the army said to Joshua, take your sandals off your foot for the place where you stand is holy ground. That sounds familiar. Where have I read that in the book of Genesis before? Anybody? Moses is not... Um, Moses goes out into the wilderness, tending his father's sheep, content to be someone else's hireling, comes upon a bush that appears to be on fire, it says, but was not consumed by the flame. And the bush says to Moses, remove your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Was that holy ground the day before that? Was it holy ground the day after that? Why was it holy ground? Because God was there. Why is this place holy ground in the Bible? Because Jesus is there. Why is this building holy ground? Because Jesus is here. Not because it's a great building. Not because of the building itself or the ground or the dirt, but because Jesus is here. He says, take off your shoes. Why does he always tell them to take off their... Just in case. 
Why does he always tell them to take off their shoes, do you think? Because our shoes are filthy or because we track in whatever from the world and God's like, eh, I just vacuumed this holy ground. <laughs> I, I personally think, and I don't know this for sure, but I personally think it's because he says to them, I don't want anything between you and I. I don't want anything between you and I. Take your shoes off, Joshua. I'm going to tell you something that it's going to be very odd uh, how we're going to take the city, it's going to be strange. No one would ever assume that would work. Because you're going to have to take this back to your generals. And you'll be like, okay, I got the plan. This is what we're going to do. Get the trumpets. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it. We're going to save it for next week when we're going to hear what the plan is. But you can read ahead and find out what the plan is, what Jesus says. But what I see here is Jesus says to Joshua, Joshua, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I don't want anything between you and I. I'm going to tell you something. And what does Joshua do? He's obedient once again. Joshua is where he is at because he keeps saying what to God? Yes. Joshua, come up here. Yes. Joshua, take off your shoes. Yes. Joshua, here's a crazy idea for us to take the city of Jericho, and it's going to involve the musicians, not the soldiers. Yes. Joshua, circumcise everybody. What? All right. Yes. Joshua kept saying yes to God. How are you doing? How are you guys doing with that? How are you doing when it comes to saying yes to God? Lord, thank you for asking Yes, Lord, forgive me for saying no too often. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this day and for this time. Thank you for the message and the word. Lord, I thank you for the laughs that you've given us this morning, but they help us to, to hone in on the serious things that you're telling us this morning, Lord. I pray that we would allow our hearts to be circumcised and to stay that way so that we can always um, stay in that state of tender vulnerability um, because you are the one who goes before us. You are the one who protects us. Thank you, Lord. Let us be there. Let us not return evil for evil and insult for insult, but to bless those and pray for those. Lord, that we might even see the most despicable person we know come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and spend eternity with them as a brother or a sister in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who isn't counted among those who call you their Savior, I pray that the words that they heard this morning, and maybe the words that I didn't even say, but the presence of the Holy Spirit who is here is weighing in on their heart and saying, you must accept Jesus or else you are responsible ultimately for the, the consequence of your own sin. I pray, Lord, that they would call out right now and they would just say, Lord, forgive me. I now know I'm a sinner that needs to be saved. Lord, come into my heart. Let me receive your forgiveness. Let me be saved. Lord, I pray for anyone who is thinking or praying that now. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, I pray that as we go out of this place today that you would give us, grant us your safety in this weather. Lord, we thank you for the rain. We thank you for the sun. Lord, I'm thankful that every day we can sing, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it, even when it's rainy or miserable. Because Lord, your word says, today is the day of salvation. 
so thank you. Lord, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.